Welcome to the MFP Live podcast. I'm producer Courtney Monk here. On this episode of MFP Live, publisher Kimberly Griffin and editor Donna Ladd speak with Antoine Patrick. Antoine is the principal of Holmes County Central High School in Holmes County, Mississippi. They discussed his journey in education from being a U.S. history teacher and a basketball coach to now a principal as well as his role in the documentary Civil War or Who Do We Think We Are? Antoine is a graduate of Alcorn State University where he earned his undergraduate degree in political science and then earned a law degree from the University of Mississippi. Here's Donna. So we're really excited tonight to have Mr. Antoine Patrick, who is visiting with us tonight. I assume maybe you're in Lexington or you're in Holmes County. Is that right? I am in Lexington, Holmes County. Yes, ma'am. And uh, Mr. Patrick is uh, a is the principal at Holmes County Central High School, right? That's correct. And, and we kind of discovered him in a recent article um, that came through and is a wonderful article that appeared in the Mississippi Free Press last week uh, by Taylor Hawthorne. And it's about um, the, the new documentary that a woman named Rachel Boyton did. And uh, Mr. Patrick is featured in that along with his students. And it's a film about basically about the Civil War and about, well, about what we know now about the Civil War and the lost cause, slavery, race history. Um, it's a, it's a, getting a lot of attention out there right now. I know it's on Peacock TV and YouTube TV at least. Um, but we have a great story that kind of started out with students in your classroom talking about that history. So we're really excited that you could join us here tonight as we kind of get into a conversation about this that seems about as of the moment as we could possibly be right now in our nation. But first, I would like you to tell us just a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you're from, how you ended up a principal, you know, whatever you think is interesting for for <laughs> fellow Mississippians and others to know about you. Well, born and raised in Holmes County, uh, I went to Alcorn State University. Well, I actually graduated from Holmes County, S.P. Marshall High School in 1994. Uh, went to um, Alcorn State University. Well, I joined the military, United States Army Reserve, for 12 years. Uh, went to Alcorn State University, major in political science and minor in history education. Uh, my uh, grandmother told me that I was going to do one or two things. I was going to either be a, a lawyer or a teacher. So I ended up going to Ole Miss Law School in 99, graduated in 2002, and practiced about, you know, about six, seven years. And I was mentoring in Holmes County. And what happened was is that uh, a young man that I actually pretty much adopted for the most part, his basketball coach left, and he asked me, can I be his head coach? And that was like in 2010. So, and I said, well, I can do it for three months. Ended up, this is now my 12th year. So I coached for about, I coached for nine years, uh, taught U.S. history, actually won three championships and became assistant principal about two years ago. And this year, last year, became principal at Holmes County Central High School. Well, tell us, uh, while you're you're filling this in on the, on the information, tell us a little bit more about Holmes County Central High School, including the, the race demographics, since that's going to kind of set us up for our conversation tonight. 
Holmes County is about 75, 25 black to, blacks to white. Holmes County Central High School is about 98% black and about 2% other, other include, you know, white uh, uh, Mexicans, but others. So, uh, but, pro- but predominantly African-American. And for people who don't know, it's a county, right? That was uh, long kind of a, it had a plantation economy, right? And, and, and it was rural. Talk just a little bit about that to kind of set that table. Well, let me set you up of home Holmes County. Uh, you have Lexington. You have you know you got several small areas. Lexington, uh, Chula, Durant. Chula is actually the, the beginning of the Delta. That's where the, the, the land just just fall flat, and from that point on, all the way up to Memphis or whatever, it's all flat. So it is primarily agriculture. Like you still have cotton. You still have whatever is it, it, pretty much a rural area. So if you look at the economy here, uh, we we are ranked, I think, as county-wise, I think we, we're number 50 is county in, in the state when it comes to poverty. And it's primarily uh, agriculture. We don't we have very have fair few businesses here. Uh, most individuals will work at Nissan, which is, of course, in Ken uh, or outside the county. So when they come back in, do we have any industries here? We do not have, we have one industry, which is in Durant. But for the most part, we don't, other than the educational system, with teachers, janitors, uh, our education system actually is the largest employer in the county. So one of the things that I found, we found interesting was that a history teacher, I guess it's not as surprising to me, but because you're a black public school history teacher, but that's really different for a lot of folks talking openly and publicly about race history. Are your, when you have these real conversations with your students or some, what are some things they don't know or what are some things they tell you that you didn't know? A couple of things. One is, is that uh, uh, raised by my grandmother and my great grandmother. So when you're raised by your grand, your great grandmother, who was born in 1917 and your great grandmother, who was born in 1934, I believe. And my great, my grandmother still alive. My great grandmother passed away about five years ago. So when you hear history, and my grandmother told me this is I thought, well, you know, I picked her up, lived in Holmes County, and she was riding through Chula, and she said, you know, they used to hang crows when you first come into Chula, Holmes County. And I would tell my students that those crows would represent that you are entering into Jim Crow territory, you know, and I tell my, my students all the time, go talk to your, your grandparents because those are living legend. But what I did know was about five years ago, there was this book written uh, about this folklore, this guy in Holmes County who, in, in I think the 1940s and 50s, is about to be lynched. He, he he actually attacked somebody, white guy in uh, in Lexington, and he actually stood his ground. So, and, and I'm and I'm trying to think of the name of the book, but when I get, when I heard it, I was like, you know, I thought I knew you know enough about Holmes County, but his his great granddaughter was in my classroom, and I managed to get the book, and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, so uh, between that and having a, a French teacher who just retired last year, she's 85, who actually grew up in, this, in that civil rights era, just for her to talk about those things. Um, those are some of the things, you know, you, you listen, you like, you do, you didn't know, just for the people with boots on the ground. It's people like Edda James Carthen, you know, first black mayor in Holmes County, or just different things you hear around the county that you're like, man, you know, I need, I want to know more. You want to pass the excitement along with the students to the students. What to to follow up with that? What are some things that 
the students teach you when you're having these conversations? Probably the biggest thing is that students cannot wrap their minds around how slavery could have existed as long as it could have. Because their mm-hmm. first thing is, well, I, well, I would have done this. I would have mm-hmm. done that. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to take students back to say, you know, different times. It's hard for them to wrap their head around uh, somebody being hung and nobody. And, and you know, just the, the clean, you know, we talked about the cleanse race, right? And I actually talked about it today. And, and my students did not, did not understand why there wasn't a total fight back. You know, why, why it wasn't more blacks, uh, more whites being killed instead of the blacks. And they were the agitators. So students, actually what they teach you is that they are very impressionable, but sometimes they are naive because they're thinking with today's mindset instead of the, you know, what happened in the civil rights movement and stuff like that. So, so they're more eager than you think. You know, I, I get frustrated sometimes because I always say the farther you get removed from the civil rights movement, because I say my, my students all the time, you know, when you hear M.A. King speak on, on TV, you know, you, you immediately stop. I, and I don't think it's the case now until when you talk to students, you know, they like, you know, we want to know more, not just about MLK, but just different other civil rights leaders and, and different things like that. So it, there's a, a a give and take. You get frustrated sometimes because they don't have, sometimes students don't have the passion, uh, but there are, are classes who want to know more. It's just like in a documentary, just just get excited about, about history. Uh, as a teacher, uh, as an educator, it's, it's frustrating, but it's always rewarding at the end of the day. One more question, and then I'll let um, Donna take mm-hmm. it. One of the things we're hearing um, more and more, and I think of it as jargon, um, <laughs> is anti-critical race theory, which usually when you drill down, we had the pleasure of speaking with a nominal educator a couple of weeks ago. And she said, when she started hearing critical race theory, it's such a specialized discipline in higher education, she said, who's teaching critical race theory in high school? That's something that's a that's a attractive college. That that's not something you teach. Um, but when you drill down, it's just history, right? It's just the truth and it's history. What is your reaction to the anti-critical uh, race theory forces? And have any of them shown up on your virtual doorstep? So to speak. Uh, well, let's first of all, I would ask somebody to define that for me. Uh, if you can define it for me, then we can have a, a dialogue. But but just don't give me a talking what you've heard on TV about we don't want our kids to learn critical race theory. So when the documentary came out, and then I I had an interview on MSNBC, I did get some messages about how I was teaching history wrong and how. I'm doing the kids a disservice and I'm putting it in my own terms about teaching history from, I guess, an historical uh, standpoint. My response that I, I had a dialogue with the guy in the inbox was that if you can show me where I'm wrong, I would teach it differently. The biggest thing I, I tell individuals or anybody is that one thing about history is, is that there are primary documents everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are secondary mm-hmm. documents everywhere. So if I teach something and part of being in education is you teach sure your students can have a dialogue about the subject to have a deeper desire to actually want to research more. 
very few educators actually put their own spin uh, to anything. But if you place that document in front of them and just have them read and have the only research, a lot of times there's only really one way in coming with a conclusion. So and that, that comes with civil rights movement. That comes with uh, civil war. You, you know, you name it just because uh, you've been told this your whole life, especially about the lost cause. Can you prove it to me? And, and when I saw the, the governor and part of his, I think, next year's agenda to ban critical race theory, it struck me as, I guess, I was a little bitter and, I was, and, and it bothered me because it's just a talking point. Just the fact that you're hurting it, teaching just history, like like you said. Let's talk about the Civil War. You know, let's, let's talk about the civil rights movement. Let's talk about what happened in Clinton and Vicksburg. Let's talk about those things. And if you can prove that African-American, for instance, is not still affected by slavery, then let's talk about it. Let, let's talk about, you know, what happened in the race riots in 1918, 1919, you know, 1921. You know, let's let's talk about what, what happened in FDR's agenda with, that left a lot of African-Americans behind you know let's talk about those things but this critical race theory to me is just jogging you know it's just talking points to get people right. uh excited about a message that really doesn't translate to anything and you hate that because people for better or for worse are so gullible to believe that we are brainwashing kids with primary and secondary resources and i keep saying those things because i think that that's uh, when you're teaching history it's just not the books. If you look at the Mississippi curriculum, it talks about uh, some of the causes of the war and, and they list on their states' rights. And, and this is actually what was handed down by MDE and states' rights. Uh, and when you talk to your, my students, okay, let's talk about states' rights. All right. States' rights to do what? You know, let's talk about taxation. Taxation mm-hmm. for whom? So, yeah, it, I say it was states' rights, but that, that's like part. Uh, I said, you got A and you got A1. I said, so states' rights is falls up under slavery, but slavery is the higher topic or the highest topic. And then we can go from there. I'm going to put a, a selfish plug about the National Endowment Humanities. I just believe that if you take some of those classes that they offer every summer, and if you go on their website, and I don't work for them, but I've taken many classes for them, and you just learn a lot. That's just, I think every history teacher should go to, or every, a lot of English teachers. So that, that's why I, I, I almost mandate have a new history teacher who's actually teaching African American studies, second year out. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave him a book by uh, a foreigner, uh, Eric Farner, that talks about Reconstruction and said, you know, if you're gonna teach it, you gotta know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the website talk, but if you is under professional development, you know where it talks about. I think some of the things I took was, which I didn't know, the new Negro movement that happened, mm-hmm. in, happened in the early 1900s that it's not it's not in the books anywhere. Slavery in the Constitution. You know, you, you start reading those books. So uh, but basically what I'm saying is, is that this critical race theory is just, uh, as my grandma would say, mumbo jumbo to get you off top. Get and, you and, off top. <laughs> That's right. So, yes, That's right. Well put, huh? Well, you know, uh, one thing I want to mention here is that I don't know if you've seen it yet, Mr. Patrick, but USA Today this week, earlier this week, did a an investigation and a, uh, a big story with graphics, et cetera, 
that basically shows who funded this anti-CRT thing and why. I mean, basically showing that it's, uh, you know, like we all kind of know that it's this, that it is this scam. It's this political thing um, in order, uh, you know, well, to do a few things, but one is clearly to put all this pressure on teachers and educators, you know, and our public schools in this very difficult time. It's like they're making their move, you know, against the public schools and particularly against this kind of teaching. And I'll be honest, you know, I don't think, I don't think they're really hiding that they don't want actual race history taught. You know, if you actually listen to what they say, they don't want young people to know it. They say that. And they say because it's divisive, because it causes guilt and shame and uh, makes people, I've heard this all my life as a white woman from Mississippi. Oh, you know, that it'll just, it'll make black people mad. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like people will, uh, there will be division because we all know each other's history, you know, which is shared, of course, right? And, uh, and so it's, they say it. I mean, they really kind of say it out loud, if you know what I mean. It's like it's there's not a lot of secret there. When, it's when I hear when I hear people say um, being divisive, especially after what we've been through, an uh, insurrection and all kinds of stuff, I'm like, that is divisive. That is that's not right. um, that's more than divisive. That's and it's it's we use the same. We don't use urgent language for urgent situations anymore, mm-hmm. and we use. Um, urgent language for non-urgent situations like CRT, but we don't, it's it's so interesting to me. I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday because kind of divisive is if I think you aren't taxing the rich enough and you do, that's kind of divisive. <laughs> but it is more than divisive when my, you know, when you are trying to wipe out a whole section of history, all this kind of other things. It's, it's very interesting language. Anyway, Mr. Patrick, I think you have something better and deeper to <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no. I, I, um, uh, now, the same individuals that don't want to teach, quote unquote, CRT are the same individuals that would say we need to keep the uh, those Confederate statues up because it's history. And you and you look and you're like, and those are the same individuals who say, well, here, uh, you know, those were Democrats back then and not Republican. Oh, man. But, you know, and, and 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 you sit there and you just look and you're like, do you understand what you're saying? You are not really fooling anyone else. You're really fooling yourself to believe. Right. You're not thinking for yourself. And, and to go back to what you're saying, um, I did have a, a white teacher uh, who, who was teaching uh, uh, American history, and the question was asked to me: How, how do you teach uh, slavery? And how do you teach civil rights movement? I said, you just teach it. <laughs> you know, you know, you just teach it. Understand this is we're not so emotional, so naive that we don't want you to teach it. We just want you to teach it right and understand that bring some perspective to it. But the biggest part I hate about being in a predominantly black school is, is that it's good to have different perspective. And I think we're missing that in public education because we are so uh, segregated and it hurts both racist. If you wouldn't believe that individuals in Mississippi believe that we shouldn't teach CRT in secondary education, then what are you doing to private schools? You know, what are you teaching there? Right. 
And, and oh. that's what's, that what makes it scary to me is that what are you teaching? I, I would love to, to see a documentary on what you're teaching with regards to, to slavery, you know, to the Civil War, you know, to Reconstruction, you know, some, what happened to some of these race riots. How are you teaching those things and how are you teaching those things without mentioning race and white supremacy? You know, and, and Jim Crow's and all that. I want and, and how land was taken. Uh, if you missed a payment, you know how sharecropping about. So I want to know how you're teaching those things that that you say that uh, shouldn't be taught. So th those are the things that 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 concerns me pretty much about teaching or lack not teaching history. That you hear so much of the uh, CRT. So, like you said, you probably, I probably hadn't heard C. I didn't hear a CRT really uh, up until a year and a half ago. I know, right? Uh, you know, right. right. So, well, you know, I we put up on the screen. Um, we're we're working on this project uh, that's actually coming to Holmes County. We're working on uh, a section of our Black women systemic barriers and COVID nineteen. And basically, the point of the project is actually to to look at in, in different counties, including homes, about what at what systemic and historic conditions and problems and in, inequities existed made COVID be so bad for Black women in certain counties in Mississippi, even worse than for a lot of Black men, right? So as a, in the course of that, we've published um, several of our Knoxville County pieces. And what we have up on the screen here is a kind of a sidebar that I did because uh, I'm the, you know, I love to dig into history and, and put all the pieces together. And this is a piece about Central Academy, which closed in 2017. But one of the things I was able to do in this piece, because I found their old website, was to talk specifically about the curriculum that they were using. And they used this, they used two different curriculums, one, a Becca, and the other was uh, Bob Jones, as in Bob Jones, the racist university. I encourage people to look at this article because I broke down a lot of what Abeka and Bob Jones, um, one or the other, was teaching. And, and that includes this kind of, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll say slavery's bad. You know, they're agreeing on, on that for the most part these days. But then they'll say, in in this curriculum, they would say something like, but the, you know, the best things that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but that enslaved people could do for themselves was to pray and for, you know, for the afterlife, you know, so it was kind of this, this kind of, of uh, really misleading stuff. And then they have Robert E. Lee in there as a hero without ever mentioning his bad stuff or the fact that he, own slaves and the fact that he mistreated those enslaved people. So, so the point, I think you make a really good point. And I know that, you know, y'all got some white, white Academy stuff going on around there too. Um, I'm not saying every Academy teaches the same curriculum, but uh, a lot of them do. So what you end up having is this two tracks, which is what you're talking about, Mr. Patrick, right? It's like this. Mm -hmm. So you got white kids over here learning this, and then you got, Black kids and other kids of color, in some, in many cases, especially if they're lucky enough to have people such as yourself as their principal, learning these things, right? And then you kind of mm -hmm. get public schools, and I think part of their focus now are public schools that actually have white kids too in them, 
where they're, they're worried about that. They're worried about the kids talking to each other um, and having some really honest conversation like some of your kids were. So I guess my question, I don't know, respond to that however you want. Because <laughs> 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 you got something to say on that. I don't know what the question is, but you set me I, I off. I, I did see the book, Hardest Deal, uh, the Hardest Deal of All, mm-hmm. Different Education. Great book. I did read it myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I tell you this is that really our, our kids, uh, for the most part, been done it injustice. If, mm-hmm. if you just look at the curriculum in most education, either, they, they, they're being taught seventh and eighth grade in public education. They're being taught the Civil War at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. So that's seventh, eighth grade year. So that seventh grade year. So simply it's, it's being done in about a few days. So if you ask most kids coming to high school about the Civil War, they really couldn't tell you. Well, the next time they get the Civil War is really is going to be for the most part, uh, or the civil rights movement is going to be their 11th grade year. So, and they only get it for about a week, a week and a half uh, at, at best there. So basically what I'm saying is, is that even in public education, they're getting it, but they're not getting, they're, they're touching it. And, and that's why most kids is not near and dear to them because we're teaching it uh, uh, as just, we're going to teach it and move on. We're teaching to learn as in to have a test, but not teaching it for them for, for historical purposes uh, where they can understand, appreciate what happened in the past. But the problem they also in, in, in private schools is if you're going to start with private school, you start with Brown versus Board of Education, where you, you where a white flight starts to come. So what I, I did some research in Holmes County. So the Central Home Academy and all the cabins, it came out in 1954. It was it was a K through eight. And then uh, it in homes kind of never really uh, integrated. There was a separate school until Alexander V. Holmes in 69. Uh, and then the Central Home Academy school went from K eight to K 12 that year. So it, uh, a lot of time. We don't understand that the the genesis of these private schools happened because they didn't want to be around or, or integrated with African Americans. So if we start there. That's uh, then now we can move on to to other pressing issues. So uh, so I have seen some of the curriculum there, and I like what you said. Uh, it is taught, but it's not really taught there in, in, in private school. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think that the, you know, the school board attacks and the CRT worrying about CRT. I think you make a good point, Mr. Patrick. It or was it Donna? I can't remember who made this point, but it's they're not going to the Jackson Public School District, which is predominantly black uh, board meeting to argue with them about teaching CRT. They are, so if it was really a concern and you were really worried about all the children learning all the things, then you would be mad about it at every in every public school district, but you're not necessarily. I am gonna change the subject because there is something, there's a reason we found you. How did you and some of your students um, end up in a Civil War documentary? How did that happen? Well, basically what happened was is that uh, Rachel Boyden actually reached out to the school 
and, and wanted to do. Uh, and Dr. And my superintendent said, uh, I, I know this, <laughs> there's a really good U.S. history teacher uh, who you can go and see. So and, and it just so happened uh, we were actually teaching the Civil War and Reconstruction. And we were trying to tie it into the civil rights movement, so uh, so it actually just happened right on time uh, for for us and, and the kids. And she, when she came there, you know, you know, we just we were just talking. So basically, what we were doing was we were talking about how laws make change. Like you might not have poll tax and Jim Crow law, but you might have voter ID. You may have you no know, gerrymandering. Those are the things, uh, uh, same day voting, just different laws that they they must understand. So basically, to answer your question, that she reached out to my superintendent and my superintendent basically put in touch with me. And I think it's on like on a, on a Monday. And then she came to the class and film maybe that Wednesday and Thursday. So that's what we that's how I, we pretty much got on there. So one of the things that stuck out when I was reading the story is that um some of the students talked about how they did not know a white, they didn't have white friends, they didn't really know white people. I imagine there are uh, lots of white kids in any of our private schools who don't have, especially in rural counties, who don't necessarily have black friends. As a teacher, do you ever, when your kids go off to college or when they go off into the workplace, do they come back and give you feedback about what that experience is like when they're um, meeting different kinds of people um, you may not have had time to have feedback. Well, you've been doing it for a long time. You had time to have <laughs> feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing, and I, I tell people all the time, is that you are attracted to like individuals. Growing up in Holmes County, and for the most part, you've not had a white friend. And they talked about it, to be friends with anybody in another race because you have not seen or pretty much talked to, to anyone like that. In other words, uh, it was harder for me because I, I know because the only connection I had with anybody white growing up was walk, working in the cotton field. So you had to work for and mm. the person on the field were white. So and you had a bitter taste in your mouth where the male lady would call your grandmother by her first name, Roberta. And she had to call her by, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, so-and-so. And it bothered me as a child. When you grow up and you don't have a connection with anybody other than your own race and you go off to Mississippi State, USM, Ole Miss, it's a culture shock. Kids actually struggle with uh, going, not because they're not intellectual enough, but because the social part of it, that it's just hard for them to adjust to it. You know, most do, some don't. So one of the things um, that sort of, you kind of made me think about when we're talking about it, because it was really, I was really struck by that line where she said she didn't have any white friends, she just had some white associates. Were you already having these conversations with your students or did the film create some different conversations or did we just, for lack of a better word, parachute in onto what was already happening? Kids in education ask all type of questions and you must be prepared for any question they ask. It could be on topic, off topic. So I think where we uh, got on the subject was we always bring it in, bring it home to Holmes County. Because we, we talk about maybe Ben Thompson, Representative Ben Thompson, but we talk about Robert Clark, which is the first black state representative. We, we bring it home there. I think that particular topic was how did he manage to get elected with very few whites? 
And then so the, another student popped in and said, I don't know. I don't know no white people. And, and then another student said, I don't know any, any either. I got a few associates. And now the whole court, the whole dialogue is now how many white friends you have, Mr. Patrick? Or, or and, and so with these kids, there's never the moment education. That's why, you know, I, I, it's hard to get out of it because every day is just a, a new thing with them. So in that particular class, that particular day or an all other day, uh, do we talk about race all the time? But if you talk, when we talk about the Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, Reconstruction, almost every topic that you can name in, in history, in U.S. history, whether it's where, whatever, it deals with race. And I bring it back home, not necessarily to get them bitter, but to provide knowledge that, that you must have in, in teaching African-American students, because quite often, the history books are always tilted. That, that's what we bring in. Even Columbus, we talk about, you know, we go all the way back. You want kids to ask those questions and you want to give them the freedom and and say, you know, that question is interesting. Uh, uh, it's not too dumb. So, but let's, let's talk about it anyway. That's why you don't want to do a moment in the class. Because if kids just thinking, you know, it, every, every question can't be a profound question. It, it just can be something as simple as like you said, I don't have many white friends or I don't have many white associates. But then let's talk about it. Why don't you have it? You know, where do you see? So in, in that family, we, we did talk about, you know, why don't you have uh, white friends or why you don't know many white people here in Holmes County? And, and those are some of the things that, I, you know, hopefully I could, bring, you know, you bring to to the class that, that gives you a, a great talking piece. Uh, you know, sometimes the class only 50 minutes or not, it's an hour and a half. You know, it goes by pretty fast. You know, when you're talking, it makes me think of something that I think, you know, might even surprise some people. Something to remember is that, you know, a lot of the white kids who are particularly in the segregation academies, right? Um, they would say former segregation, you know, well, they wouldn't say that, but they call themselves Christian schools now. But but most of them are overwhelmingly white, right? And, and as a newspaper editor here um, for almost 20 years, I can't tell you how many young white people have come to us because of the kinds of work that we do in this, you know, truth telling and want to intern with us because they want to be in, in, in diverse environments because that's been robbed from them. I even had a family member who uh, went to uh, a, an academy and who's kind of said the same thing. Look, I really wanted to play basketball with, with black kids you know, and I didn't get the opportunity to do that, for instance. And so I think that's a little, I, I don't know what, apropos of what, but, but I think the point I would make as well to build on yours is that this is robbing white kids of so much as well. Um, interaction, the ability to develop deep relationships, to learn about cultures that are different from their own, right? And to the point that you make and the film makes to know their own history because she interviewed a number of white kids in other schools um you know who had some different reactions right to to the kids in your school but you you were talking about questioning and um one of the uh, the the points that really struck me in the film it, and with i think one of the kids in your class talked about why do we have the same last name as some of the white families and I've always thought that is, you know, once I kind of got old enough to, to understand that, 
because it wasn't taught to me either what was going probably going on there in my home state. I've always wondered, do people ever have those conversations, right? Like that seems to almost be the third rail of all this for so many people is that people they know with their same last names in the same community, you know, probably people probably descended from families that own their families. So I'm just curious about that. Is that something that, that you get them to talk about or did that just come up? What are your thoughts on that? It came up and I, uh, and I told him about an episode on, on Sanford and son and, uh, where Lamont wanted to go back and, and he wanted to change his name. He wanted to be, I, I think, uh, uh, I forgot what it was. So he asked dad, he said, I want my last name to be like the African name, like uh, Mumbai. And he just named it. And, and Fred said, I don't know any, any black people names like that. You know, uh, all my black people from St. Louis, you know, that name, uh, Sanford's and, and this and that. So basically I was telling them is that your name come from, you know, uh, eventually, when you start shaking up a tree, I said, we were owned by somebody. I said, I just don't believe I came from Africa. My last name was Patrick or your last name was Johnson. So we talk about those things. And there's always a, a running joke. I say, you know, uh, kids like, you know, I'm really bright. You know, some kids like, oh, I'm dark, you know. So and, and we and we place, you know, that and kids are, are playful. They'll say certain things like, you know, I, I would have worked in. In, in the uh, in the house because I'm light skinned and but we talked about Sally Hemingway and I think that's always important and we talked about and, and this is a touchy subject uh, can there ever be consent with regards to a slave and a slave master and I always want to figure out what they think with regards to that particular uh, uh, just any uh, situation and so uh, and you'd be surprised that kids would, you know, will be like some kids say, yes, you know, she love them. And, and so and, and it's not that's right. So that's the dialogue you want kids to have when you start talking about even your last name. Why is it that we don't have anything tangible from the 1860s and 1850s like other, you know, like like white people? We talk about things like that. You know, you hear uh, I got some you hear people all the time saying, you know, I got this from my great great grandfather who fought in the civil war or he fought. And I said, you know, so we talk about why is it that, you know, we don't have those things. You know, why don't we don't have artifacts? I said, I don't even have a picture of my grandmother until she was in the night and she until 1970s, your 1960s. What, what you find out is that kids, when you, when you pose those questions, now they want to know why. And so in explaining why you want them sometimes to find the right answer. Uh, instead of you, you want them to some time to research. I did a mock debate class and we, and, and you want kids to go back and forth on things such as, and it's a touchy subject, but you have to tackle rape and sex and, and, and with slavery, slave and slave masters, ships and all this other stuff, uh, because you can't get around it. So basically kids, all the questions that were asked, everything is always impromptu in class. You know, I can want to go one way, but when you got inquisitive kids, they're going to always take you in another way, another route. One thing I've, I've noticed, I guess among amateur genealogists, I've seen them over the last year or so, amateur white genealogists are asking other white genealogists. And I didn't, I, it just never occurred to me, but I've seen them doing public calls to say, if you find paperwork that is a slave register or sell a slave, you need to turn that over to a museum or somewhere where black folks can use it for ancestry uh, research. 
and the visceral paint like people it's just very hard like people are coming out of the woodwork like i've seen my friends go well yeah i have this i didn't know what to do with it and i was embarrassed by it and so it's, it's kind of like those things that people don't no one ever said that to them like you should take this somewhere and they were like, if I thank you for giving me a plan. Now I can be helpful instead of being ashamed. And so it's interesting to have people when you have these kind of conversations with young people because they give you a different way of thinking about things sometimes. Um, yeah, so that was a that was my follow-up, and that is my call that if you do have slave registers, sell, bills of sales of slaves hmm. in your um family papers, please turn them over to hmm. your national your Department of Archives and History or your museum um, because it's going to help so many people because you can't only you get when you're black, you hit a roadblock on how far you can go back. Mm-hmm. You can make some guesses. I think that was a tangent. I don't think it was a question, Mr. Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yes. So we're getting to the end of the show here. Give us just a last, you know, parting comment, you know, your chat, maybe your challenge to people watching this when it comes to young people in history. Well, this is really to educators who teach history, read more books, just don't teach what's in the book. You know, you can't be, you have to master your craft and far too often, I tell people all the time, we may stick a coach in there. And I'm a coach. So I'm going to throw that in there that who just acts or just, Take out your books, turn to page 38, answer question one through eight. And what you're doing is, is that you're ruining kids because they don't understand. They don't know. And this is not when I was growing up or some of, you know, growing up where you actually was a part of that history. You know, kids must know, understand, appreciate. But in order for them to know, understand, appreciate, you just can't read a, a Pearson book and talk about the Civil War without pulling up primary artifact without reading books or about anything. So my, my biggest thing is, is to educate is that you you must read as the Bible says, show yourself worthy, not because you are certified, because you become a, a master of the craft, bringing knowledge to students in the classroom where they can go out and, and they can debate others because of what you've taught them, because of what you've learned, the books that you've given them to read and those resources. So it's not necessarily to the kids, but to the adults who actually are responsible for teaching today's youth so they can understand uh, what has happened in the past and how it lingers today. Well, that's it right there. And I, I can't tell you, I'm so glad you joined us tonight because just to have this conversation from inside a school, you know, in a county uh, with Holmes County's history and, and realities today and challenges, and inside a black public, largely black public school to hear the kind of work that you're doing is really exciting. And you did kind of inspire me to say one quick thing to maybe some, any of the white people who might be watching this at some point, you know, one of these days we're going to do a story about some of the joint family reunions that happen between black and white families because of these shared ancestors. And, and in fact, I, I won't go into it now. This is a story to come. But I found uh, that situation in my own family and in Louisiana, and they have joint reunions. And I haven't been able to go to one yet because of the pandemic. And so I assure y'all I'll be writing about that afterwards. But I, I mentioned that now to say to people, imagine that, you know, being able to get to know people and kind of celebrate 
and it's not all a celebration, but to get to know each other and each other's history together instead of this efforts at censoring because we're worried about being uncomfortable, you know? And so, uh, so anyway, that's my call to action on top of yours, but we do appreciate your work, Mr. Patrick. Thank you for agreeing to get here so quickly. I know you, I know you have a busy, busy life as, as a teacher. So we, we so appreciate you. MFP Live is a production of the Mississippi Free Press, reader-supported solutions journalism for the Magnolia State. You'll find it at mfp.ms. MFP live streams most Thursdays on the MFP's Facebook and YouTube pages, where you can listen live and participate in the show by commenting. The MFP Live podcast is an edited version of the live show. The hosts of MFP Live are MFP co-founders Donna Ladd and Kimberly Griffin. This episode of MFP Live was produced by Todd Stauffer. The podcast was produced by Courtney Munkin and is available on popular listening apps and platforms. Learn more at mfp.ms live.